When Dorothy's sister comes to visit the ladies, she turns the whole house upside down when she declares she's taking Sophia back with her to California. With Rose and Blanche busy practicing for an upcoming play, Dorothy is struggling to have a real conversation about her wants and needs with her ma. Will Sophia leave? Will Blanche get the part of Lady Macbeth? Is Rose actually haunted by a ghost? All of that and an insightful conversation with my ma, Shelly, in today's episode, The Custody Battle. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing, and laugh just doing go starting out with that moon over Miami shot of the house. It's the evening as we enter the kitchen to find Dorothy and Sophia tag teaming some dishes. As Sophia dries and inspects the glass, she silently hands it back to Dorothy. Dorothy silently, but with a bit of an eye roll, understands the hand washing wasn't up to her mother's standards and redoes it, albeit with a little dramatic flair. She gets even more dramatic with the waterworks when Sophia hands it back not only a second time, but attempts a third. Dorothy will not have it. They've only gotten three glasses done in 10 minutes. Sophia doesn't help the situation by pointing out that it's not like Dorothy has anywhere to go. Per usual, she doesn't have a date. Dorothy, the progressive, independent queen that she is, points out that she'll go out with someone when she finds someone worthy of her. Sophia starts to attempt a guilt trip that she's only bugging her because she wants her to be happy. The only thing that will make Dorothy happy right now, though, is getting the dishes done before her sister Gloria arrives the next day. But at the rate they're going, that might not happen. Blanche enters the kitchen and is looking fabulous in a black and purple floral dress. It's unusually dark for her, but of course she's making it work. While the dress is working, her jewelry isn't, so she asks Dorothy if she can borrow some of hers, which is very Blanche. One minute she'll make a joke at Dorothy's expense, usually about her clothes or taste, but then when she needs something like a diamond ring, pearl necklace, or jade bracelet, suddenly her taste is good enough. Knowing Dorothy and her ex-husband Stan's willingness to spend or make money, I doubt they were the crown jewels, but still, that's a lot to borrow. It reminds me of how celebrities borrow jewelry for the Oscars. I mean, this is no $30 million yellow diamond from Tiffany's like what Lady Gaga wore, but still. Blanche explains that she's got a dinner date with the director of the local theater company, and she doesn't expect to be back until the morning. Blanche is using the date to try to get the part of Lady Macbeth, which seems pretty fitting since Lady Macbeth coerces her lover into killing the king so she can become queen. Sophia hears of the date and begs Blanche to set Dorothy up with someone, perhaps an acquaintance of the theater director. It's too bad for Dorothy, well, only in Sophia's mind, that Rose is getting to be the second on this double date. She's going out with the lighting director, who is fat. Nothing else about him, just that he's fat. While I don't want to get into whether fat is a bad word or not, I'm personally a fan. Yes, I am fat, and I own it, and I make it look good. 
I know it can be upsetting for some people, so we will give it a little bit of an oh boy. But I do love how the ladies are talking because it's kind of like how guys talk. Yeah, he's fat, body stuff only, not really anything about the personality. When discussing what Rose should even talk about with the lighting director, she remembers she's always wanted to know how the three-way bulb works, and he'd be just the guy to ask. Hey, Rose, usually bulbs only have one filament. That's the swirly stuff in the middle that emits the light. But three-way lights have two of those. When you're on the lowest setting, the first and dimmest filament comes on. Click again, and the one turns off, while the second, higher-powered filament comes on. Go a third time, and both come on together, creating the brightest light. God, could you imagine having questions like that and not having Google? I do not miss those days. Yeah, man. Powerful stuff, Coco. Dorothy jumps on Rose's thrice-clicking bulb and adds her own mystery. What does Jane Polly look like standing up? While Jane Polly has been a news broadcaster since 1972, it was in 1976 when she became the co-anchor of the Today Show, post-Barbara Walters leaving, that she became a household name. She's still working today, hosting CBS Sunday Morning, but it was her fame on Today and working as a news anchor, seated and sometimes behind a desk, that led to Dorothy's sarcastic question. Rose surmises that perhaps she just can't stand and has to be carried around by the already mentioned in a previous episode, Willard Scott, the man who would give shout-outs for birthdays. Blanche pulls Rose away before she gets lost in her own thoughts, and they head for the door. Then we get one of the most classic Blanche quotes, well, ever— As Dorothy reminds Blanche that she forgot something, meaning the jewelry she asked to borrow, Blanche, before even hearing what it is she's forgotten, says, No, I never wear underwear, while Rose's jaw drops just over Blanche's shoulder. When Dorothy explains she was talking about her jewelry, Blanche doubles down with, Nah, why paint the peacock? While Blanche means, I'm looking colorful, eye-catching, and gorgeous, what more do I need to add? It is a little bit of a biology whoopsie in that it is the male peacock that is known for its long, colorful tail. That's because the male peafowl use their vibrant looks in finding a mate. It is the female peahen that is brownish and doesn't have the colorful tail. So really, with the outfit, makeup, and her own jewelry, Blanche painted the peahen. This is still so early in the series, it's really the first time we're getting a good look at how Sophia gets towards Dorothy and her lack of dating. It's also a really good look into my life in high school. The high school my mom worked at. My mom, who was as consumed with my happiness as Sophia is with Dorothy. A mom that, if I told her the boy I liked, would go above and way beyond in helping to make sure I found a way to talk to him or, you know, she could just do it for me. It was a really easy and stress-free adolescence. Hey, Alicia. Coco. Do you ever go commando? What a rhyme. No. Oh. <laughs> the person responsible for us meeting. Yes, Proudly goes commando. The yes. reason that you and I know each other—that's correct. That was man a commando person, is a fully commando. And you know what? He is a commando person. Yeah. You know, if you know someone who who does that, you know how that's they are. What that's what they're like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. But also, uh, I I could see how Blanche could use it as like a sexiness. Definitely. Like I barely, you know, I barely wear thongs. I don't like 
just cover cover it up and we can be sexy with it later. But I'm sure, you know, I've worn smaller underwear and then you have like your very light fabric mm-hmm. or a silky fabric or something. It's like, oh, it kind of inherently makes you feel more sexy. And especially if you're going out or whatever, it's like, oh, OK. Or the danger, like, oh, we could just start fooling around at any minute. So there's definitely a sexy aspect, but also a very scary one. Do you talk to your parents? Like, are you pretty candid with them about oh my relationships? God. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, that's cool. absolutely. Yeah. They're, and they're, yeah, they have. You know, it's actually talking to them about relationships as I've gotten older has kind of moved along that transition from being mm. parent child to just like more like adult peers. friends. Yeah, yeah. When I see them through the lens of them in relationships and what mm. they think about them, it really solidifies like they're just people. Yeah, you know, they didn't. They didn't. Good and bad. You know, they didn't. <laughs> They're not superheroes just because they were older. Exactly. Yeah. And just because they had kids and were married doesn't mean they knew what the hell they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> and they're the greatest. They're like really great parents. They're just oh, the greatest. But oh boy. Now that, that's a Coco oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> I'll put something in there. <laughs> no, it should be that. <laughs> well, that's some... <laughs> Oh boy. Oh boy. It's Friday night and Dorothy is home. Gloria, the widowed sister on her way to visit, goes out at least three times a year, so that's something. Dorothy asks Sophia to stop making excuses for her kids, which makes Sophia defensive because she doesn't do that. Except for when it comes to her son Phil, but we'll get into his background on another episode. Dorothy has had it, and she's going to go watch some TV in her room, a rarely mentioned pastime in the Golden Girls' home, except for when it comes to dirty movies, of course. Before she can escape the smotheringness of Sophia, she's handed a paper with a phone number on it. Sophia met a very nice, mostly fingerless man at the grocery store. Raise your hand if you've been handed a phone number by your mother of a nice person you should meet, and they've met in a setting like the grocery store. Oh, I see you. Oh, yeah. You? You in the car? Oh, and you at home working. Don't worry. Mine's up, too. This is healthy. This is healing. Dorothy is fed up and pissed. Once again, like with Stanley. Wait a minute. Call the therapist. Just like with Stan, Dorothy's needs and wishes are going unheard. No wonder with a mom like that, she ended up with a husband like that. Ah, work through your trauma before getting involved, people. Dorothy, unlike me, tears up the phone number and starts to make her way to her room. I definitely would have called, especially if they're lacking fingers. At the very least, you'll get a good story. Also, they've already met your mother, so they know what they're in for. I actually have a funny dating and fingerless story. Would you like to hear it? Yes, let me, uh, I'm going to go sit down in my most comfortable chair. (laughs) Mm. Picture it. Las Vegas, July 2007. My friend Jamie and I were in Vegas just a few months after I had moved back home to Portland after living there for a few years because one of our besties was getting hitched. But this was a few nights before the wedding, so of course we went out. At the club, Jamie met a boy, they danced, they kissed, exchanged numbers. It was great. Then we got back to the Hard Rock Hotel, our resort of choice when it came to Vegas, and there were two guys wandering around. I don't drink, and I didn't then either, so I was the only sober one in the group. Long story short, the four of us go to a bar. It's about 3 a.m. at this point. We get some drinks and maybe, maybe not start making out. 
don't get me wrong. These guys were total trash, pure local vibes. And I don't mean that against the people that live in Vegas, because you guys who live there, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And as things got weirder and the sun got brighter, we knew it was time to go to bed. They actually begged to join us and even continued begging, saying they would sleep on the floor, even when I explained that we were sharing a room with my parents, which was a huge red flag. So as we walked them out the doors, uh, the one that had been with Jamie, I think like grabbed her boob or grabbed her shirt and pulled her boob out. Or I mean, it was awful. And I really should have knocked his lights out. Instead, we were kind of like, you guys suck. Get the hell out of here. Somehow we were still going to hang out with them later that week. That was the night of the 3rd of July and the morning of the 4th. So out of sheer curiosity of what kind of stories I could get out of hanging out with these guys again, I texted the guy I had been hanging out with on the 5th of July to see if he wanted to come to the Hard Rock Pool. And he didn't answer. So this was before ghosting was kind of a known thing, so I didn't really think much of it. And I waited a while and I tried calling, which was very scandalous to actually call someone. So instead of meeting his mom, I got to verbally meet his dad. So he answers and I say, hi, is so-and-so there? Uh, nah, he's, uh, he ended up playing with some fireworks and, uh, he hurt his hand pretty bad. So, uh, he's up at the hospital. An adult man played with fireworks to the point he lost his fingers and I let him French me? Ugh. Okay, thank you. That's my story. Rips to the random guy's fingers. Sophia will not take Dorothy talking to her and stands up to confront her, even gives a New York Italian, who do you think you're talking to? The Petrillo women kind of get into it, leaving Dorothy begging for space. Sophia, instead of feeling like a burden or throwing a pity party or guilting Dorothy or even feeling stuck because she's older, straight up heads for the door and is like, deuces, I'm going to my friend's house. I love that Sophia has her own golden girls, the kind of friend whose door you can knock on on a Friday night and say, things suck, can I stay here, without question. I also have a story about that with Jamie, but it's far too long to share here. Long story short, Friday night, work people, drunken argument, knock, 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 tears, 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 holding me as I wept and offered me her couch without question. Dorothy is kind of taken aback by Sophia's leaving, but she probably knows it's for the best. It's the next morning, and the ladies are in the kitchen post-date. We learn that, due to the accordion player dying, the spring musical was changed to Macbeth, which I can't decide if I love or hate the idea of their musical being founded in an accordion player. (laughs) Blanche is looking 80s power suit spring queen with a yellow shirt and jacket with lavender flowers as she explains that, sure, she doesn't technically have the part yet, but she did audition last night. And in a very R-rated line, if it wasn't delivered by an adorable woman in her 50s, she says she opened to great reviews. Good Lord, woman. Spoiler alert to anyone that hasn't seen the series, but when will these ladies learn not to mess with artists, theater directors, and actors? It's bad news in Miami. There are few things I hate as much as someone being passive-aggressive. So when Dorothy comes in to join the ladies for breakfast, Sophia, from her pot stirring at the stove, says, Look out, Dorothy needs her space. Don't get mad at someone for setting boundaries with you, Sophia. You should appreciate that you raised a daughter that's willing to speak her needs. 
Sorry if my descriptions of their clothing go above your head. I obviously graduated from fashion design school. Anyway, I love all of Rose's dresses. I know I have a much bigger tummy, well, waist, and boobs. But for a big-chested lady, they always knew how to dress her in the cutest way. Somehow, Rose's kiss and makeup has taken the heat off Dorothy as Sophia oh so politely suggests Rose blows it out her ditty bag. Why a ditty bag? I'm not sure, as a ditty bag is simply a bag for ditties, trinkets, small items. It's usually used by fishermen or sailors. Perhaps Blanche and her years of experience with sailors could educate Rose on it later. Rose takes the hint and shushes. Then the doorbell rings, and it's Gloria! Gloria's played in this episode, bum bum bum, by Doris Bellick, who, while she had roles in shows and films like One Life to Live, Tootsie, Family Ties, Batteries Not Included, and What About Bob, most people know her as trial judge Margaret Barry on Law and Order. Real fun fact here, she also did voiceover work. She did over 50 episodes of the Nickelodeon cartoon classic Doug, and her last role before she passed in 2011 was as Mrs. McReary for the 2008 video game Grand Theft Auto 4. That is pretty badass. Gloria enters in a tizzy and drops her things at the door. Well, they clearly aren't her things, as what she has brought was wrapped. Gloria, who apparently didn't have a conversation with the family before going to visit, informs Sophia and Dorothy that she has a hotel. Sophia, still hurt by Dorothy needing space, isn't keen on the idea of a second daughter needing space as well. It's really cute that Sophia seems to have gotten dressed up for Gloria's arrival. She's in a periwinkle blue dress with rounded shoulders, a lace collar, and a cameo. But unlike Alma, she still looks vibrant and youthful. As for Dorothy, I don't think she put too much concern into what she was going to wear, as she has a collared shirt, but like one of those tuxedo collars that go really high and only the little part at the front goes forward, like her shirt has vampire teeth. And over that is a brown cover wrap. I'm guessing this was a production choice to make the luxury of Gloria's outfit stand out even more. And stand out it does. Gloria has her hair and nails done, is covered in jewelry, and has an outfit that's difficult to describe while watching the film on DVD, but it's basically like a pinkish-red Chanel suit. Sophia starts with the guilt, fine, don't stay here, and after going on and on, Gloria gives in and says she'll stay at the house. Speaking of seeing someone standing up, Blanche and Rose come into the living room from the kitchen and we see that beneath the table, Blanche was complimenting the yellow jacket and shirt with some bright fuchsia colored pants. Man, I cannot wait until I'm older and can dress like Blanche, aka my grandmother. Dorothy takes their entrance as an opportunity to introduce the gals to Gloria. It's in this introduction we learn Sophia, in talking to the girls, shared that Gloria had an imaginary friend, David, that lived in the oven. Rose, taking the opportunity to bond with Gloria, shares that she had an imaginary friend as well, but he would never tell her what his name was. So perhaps we're just now learning and realizing that Rose was haunted by a ghost? Ooh, spooky. Coco, did you ever have an imaginary friend? No. Great. Sophia keeps Rose from wasting their precious visiting time with a St. Olaf story. Did you have a, an imaginary friend? <laughs> I think I kind of made one up. 
which I know kids, that's the whole point of it. But it was like, I, I could feel myself forcing it. I was like creating it as I went. And I don't oh, know if that's the normal. Normally kids aren't aware of that? Something yeah. like that. Like your imagination kind of takes over and does it. I was like, I'm just very lonely. Um, and his name was James, which is now my nephew's name. Whoa. And he, I, it was like, um, almost like a confessional, but it was in the, I'd be playing in the bath and there's this little spot in the bath, like how it's built. And I would like pretend that that was just a window to his world. And I'd be like, hi, I'm sad. Aww. But it never, I, I kept, I think I kept wanting it to like take off. Yeah. Like, oh, I want it to be, you know, you've seen TV or cartoons yeah. and it's like your imaginary friend is this purple dragon with a wizard suit. And so I was like, I'm, I'm ready for that. I've got a vivid imagination and, but I'm also a little bit too much of a realist. Sophia keeps Rose from wasting their precious visiting time with a St. Olaf story. But aren't we the fools now? She could have shared a harrowing, haunting experience. Okay, I'll stop obsessing on that, but moving on doesn't mean I won't write fan fiction with Rose having a Ghostbuster background. Rose and Blanche head off for their Macbeth auditions as Dorothy offers some coffee. Gloria, coming from California, which doesn't help this make any sense, has brought Sophia an outfit warm jammies, and an electric blanket. Her reasoning? That in the few times she calls a year, Sophia is always sick with a cold. But that is just an old wives' tale. To get sick with a cold, it doesn't matter if you have a jacket or if you go play outside in the rain. To get sick, you have to be exposed to the cold virus. However, if you have conditions that could get worse with the weather, something like asthma, being exposed to the cold could make those conditions flare up and make you more susceptible to the virus should you be exposed. And just like Sophia always being sick when Gloria could be bothered to check in on them, she must have known that Dorothy didn't ever have a date. So she gifted her a certificate for a complete makeover from Elizabeth Arden. Elizabeth Arden, a Canadian-American born Florence Nightingale Graham, started her makeup company in the early 1900s and was quite the pioneer. Not only did she take makeup and turn it into the everyday item we use now, when before it was reserved for the lower class or sex workers, but she wasn't just about covering ladies up. She was a part of the suffragette movement, even providing marchers with unifying red lipstick. While her company Elizabeth Arden had salons for hair and makeup, she also sold her makeup in stores, where you can still purchase it today. At the time, being the owner of her business, she was one of the wealthiest people in the world. Elizabeth Arden. And speaking of fashion, I know I mentioned Chanel earlier, the Chanel suit that uh, Gloria is wearing. I just learned the other day, opposite of Elizabeth Arden being a suffragette and helping people, Coco Chanel was like a horrible person. She was a Nazi, flat out, worked with them, helped them, did undercover things, all sorts of horrible things. And then she was bought out by a Jewish man, a Jewish jeweler, and they kept her company. So now she, I mean, since the beginning, she kind of hasn't been a part of it. But for anyone that has like your motivational thing on the wall, like be pretty with pearls or I don't know, something Coco Chanel would say, just know that... She was a Nazi. <laughs> and that's not glamorous. As a Coco? Oh, yeah. Coco I, to Coco. I denounce this Coco. I denounce Coco Chanel. 
Oh, boy. With Dorothy's new and improved hair and makeup since the first few episodes, I don't think she needs one. And she doesn't think a makeover will make her any more interested in a date with the man Sophia met at the grocery store, or as Dorothy says in a not-so-much-of-an-oh-boy-as-a-that's-just-plain-rude Captain Hook, the famed captain from Peter Pan, noted for, you know, missing a hand. Speaking of rude, Sophia not offering an idea for hair color or makeup suggests that Dorothy, when getting her makeover, doesn't expect a miracle. Gloria continues to let the audience know that she is well off financially by telling Sophia they're going out later for a shopping spree. Blanche and Rose are back from the auditions. Blanche is feeling like she's got the role in the sack. Get it? Because she slept with the director? The term hitting the sack is along the lines of hitting the hay, both of which means sleeping with someone or just going to bed, and both are derived from beds being filled with hay and that the materials used to make beds were the same as sacks that were used to hold hay. Rose is surprisingly unsupportive, pointing out how many other talented actresses there were, while also correcting Blanche's in the sack within the bag. In the bag meaning you can't lose. The origin of this phrase was really surprising to me as it comes from a baseball team, the New York Giants. In the early 1900s, when the Giants were having a winning streak, they would remove their bag of balls from the field when they were in the lead as part of their superstition. Rose compliments Dorothy on how lovely her sister seems, and Dorothy agrees, sharing how lovely and worldly and wealthy she is, but not with any kind of disdain or annoyance. That is, until she gets to the part where Gloria never even had a pimple in her life, which is someone that didn't grow up with a sister but grew up with a mom that, when approached by her acne-riddled, weird-bodied spawn with questions, would and continues to say things like, I have no idea what you're talking about, or I've never heard of that happening, or a classic, no, that doesn't happen to people, does it? It's endearing and definitely doesn't make me feel like a freak. Blanche catches the spice in Dorothy's last comment and calls her out for having some negative feelings towards her sibling. Dorothy shares that it's not so much a sibling rivalry, but a feeling she wasn't liked by her parents as much as Gloria was. Blanche can relate as she knew she was the least liked of her siblings. She knew because her parents told her. They were Southern, and as someone that had a Texan grandmother, I can vouch, you'll know if they don't like you. Blanche says her proof was that she didn't get a birthday clown at her birthday parties when she was a kid, but she did get a clown when she was older. Spoiler, maybe she and Mr. Ha Ha hit the sack. Also, I hope in the episode with Dick Van Dyke, Dorothy and Blanche bonded over having a love affair with a clown. Rose, of course, knew that her parents loved all nine of their kids the same. The girls can't relate, as she literally had a little house on the prairie picturesque upbringing, which is why Dorothy references the actor that played the father on the series, Michael Landon, asking if he was Rose's father. Rose gets defensive and tries to point out that they had struggles on the farm, like when their butter churn was stolen. The girls decide to go grab a burger, which gets Rose going on another story about her wonderful childhood, of which Blanche and Dorothy are not interested. 
As the season is going on, the set is coming to be more and more homey. And for the first time ever, I noticed that just like every other space in the bedroom, there is an entire desk and chair now in the kitchen. A desk that is never sat at or used in any way. A desk that you could maybe have room to write a letter on. A desk in a space that doesn't have room for a full table. Coco, you also noted the new wall decor. Oh, I think, you know, I saw for the first time a cake pan next to the sink that was like rectangular long ways and had just an imprint of like a Dutch woman or yeah. something. It did not look like it would make a good cake no. <laughs> at all. Be about an inch tall. You better and have a, just a lump on top. Rose follows the ladies out or at least attempts to as Blanche blocks the kitchen door and Rose basically runs into it. But as you pointed out, Coco, she just uses her foot and it's a lot of really good, like, physical comedic acting. We cut to Dorothy's room later that night. Gloria is back and apologizing for having been out with Sophia all day. While Dorothy is wearing her iconic light blue, nothing going on but comfort, no lace collar or long sleeves pajamas, Gloria is flaunting her fanciness with a white nightgown that doesn't look exactly sleepable. I mean, the thing could probably qualify as a wedding dress. With sheer polka-dotted poofy sleeves that have elastic at the elbow, no less than 18 large buttons going down the front, and enough lace to run across a Thanksgiving table, there is no way that thing is comfortable. Gloria starts sharing how much fun she had with Ma and that she wants to have more time with both her and Dorothy. Dorothy then mocks the amount of luggage Gloria brought. This is very reminiscent of my mom when we would go to Vegas for the summer. Two kids, one shopaholic, enough suitcases for multiple daily outfits, and of course, some empty ones to bring home the finds from the thrift stores. Gloria initiates what could be a difficult conversation with a sister by asking if Dorothy resented her. Dorothy answers honestly that while she doesn't now, there was a time she did. Gloria kind of pushes it, bringing up specific examples as to why she should be resentful, and it's kind of a weird humble brag. Gloria is rich. She had a happy marriage before her husband passed away. She has successful kids. But Dorothy seems to honestly answer that no, she doesn't care about those things. While we have been in Dorothy's room before, we haven't seen all of it in this light. Of course, she has so much room and really grandiose wallpaper, but she also has the saddest piece of art hanging on the wall behind her bed. It's very 80s, but very blah. It looks like a gray rainbow or maybe a fan used by a depression-themed drag queen whose handle broke off and she just took the fan part, put it on a light pink background and framed it. As Coco said when he saw it, I've never had a painting frown at me before. Dorothy and Gloria climb into bed together and reminisce about their childhood, how Dorothy would scare her little sister with spooky bedtime stories. Gloria asks why Dorothy doesn't ever come visit her in California, even though she has a mansion with an ocean view and servants. Ew, the worst selling point. Dorothy says it's because she has never been invited, prompting Gloria to officially invite her. But like, what the hell was the holdup? How long have you lived out there and never invited your own sister, Gloria? Oh, also, let's not forget, Dorothy has her own private bathroom in her room, because of course she does. Gloria then really doubles down with her invite by bragging that the host of the game shows like Password, Tattletales, and Win, Loser, Draw, the hunky Bert Convy, shops at her grocery store. 
I have to think that with Betty White's extensive game show history, this was probably a factor in deciding who to make that joke about. Gloria admits that she really sold the idea of going to California to Sophia and that she wants more time with her mother. So Gloria wants Sophia to live with her. The timing of everything couldn't be worse. Perhaps if Dorothy hadn't yelled at her mom the day before, asking for space, Sophia wouldn't have accepted Gloria's invitation to move in with her. We cut to Sophia's room the next morning where we find her packing her trinkets that are on her desk, loving Sophia's light purple and white button-up muumuu, pajama swimsuit cover thing. It looks very cozy. Dorothy approaches the subject of Sophia moving, but it's clear neither of them are being honest. Dorothy wants to be supportive, so she feigns excitement for Sophia. Sophia doesn't really want to go, but knows Dorothy wants her space, so perhaps it's for the best. With sadness in their voices, they decide it's settled, and Sophia will go to California. Dorothy leaves the room hesitantly while Sophia holds back tears. We join Blanche in the kitchen, whistling green sleeves, an Elizabethan-era song that has been rumored to have been written by King Henry VIII. Being that it has a romantic Renaissance feel, it is used sometimes in Shakespearean plays, such as Macbeth. As Blanche is making a humongo fruit salad, Dorothy and Rose enter the kitchen separately, both declaring they have bad news for her. I'm not sure the time of day here. Rose has already been out and about and is looking ravishing in a bright pink pinstripe dress. Dorothy is fully dressed as well, except she looks more ready for a Scottish picnic in her khakis, button-up white shirt, and large green and blue checkered overshirt. Meanwhile, Blanche is dressed in a flowy nightgown complete with a lace top. So I'm going to go with morning-ish? Blanche has a seat and waits to hear all of this news. But thinking ahead, she has made a plan for herself. Once she receives the news, she's going to get hysterical and eat a box of Malamars, which are actually no longer sold, but they were basically s'mores in a cookie. A slab of graham cracker was topped with marshmallow, and then all of it was covered in chocolate. Rose starts. Blanche isn't Lady Macbeth in the play. She got witch number three. Before Rose can break the news of who got the part, Blanche assumes it's the theater groupie. You know, exactly what she was. But it wasn't. It was Rose. Blanche, carrying the knife she's using for the fruit salad, approaches Rose, gives the table a little bit of a stab, and refuses to believe that she lost out to Rose, even though she was the one with the mattress on her back. She puts the knife down and starts in on the Malamars before even hearing Dorothy's news of Sophia moving out. Both girls get over the drama of their drama and start to worry about Sophia leaving. Sophia is the mother of the house that feeds them and tells them stories and takes care of them. No one, not even space-needing Dorothy, wants her to go. But who is she to say what her adult mother can do with her life? I can't decide if Dorothy's choice of not wanting to talk to her mom is healthy or not. On one hand, I totally relate and understand the idea of not having that conversation because you don't want to have guilt enter the picture and become a deciding factor. On the other hand, her mom deserves to know how she is really feeling about her leaving. Dorothy leaves the kitchen and the Macbeth ladies to themselves. Blanche angrily and half-heartedly continues to chop her fruit salad as Rose offers basically for Blanche to be her understudy and take the part for a night. Blanche, ever so humble and kind, points out that they would never be able to fit Rose's huge dress on her petite body. It's later that evening and Dorothy is attempting to get into her room, but Gloria's luggage is blocking the door. 
It's clear Dorothy is upset about something, probably that she had comfy pajamas the night before and now she is in a full-length men's shirt that is definitely not as comfortable. Gloria picks up that Dorothy is upset, but Dorothy doesn't want to talk about it and goes into her private bathroom, but only for a millisecond before coming back out. She does want to talk. She's offended that Gloria showed up with her gifts, her money, and an offer of living a luxurious life to Sophia, when Dorothy feels like she has nothing, so she only wanted the special time she's having with her mom. Gloria doesn't see it. She points out that Dorothy was the only one that already had everything. She was strong, independent, smart. The Petrillo parents trusted Dorothy. They saw a responsible daughter full of potential. While Gloria didn't have all of that going on, so she was expected to just marry rich. She makes a valid point in saying when it came down to Sophia choosing where to live, she chose Dorothy. I like Gloria's casual elegance in this scene. A beautiful blue, flowy blouse, big silver earrings, le chic. Gloria then opens up to Dorothy in a really vulnerable and honest way. Sure, she's had the marriage and the money, but Dorothy's life is full. It has purpose, meaning, and importance. She has the girls. She has a job that's fulfilling and makes a difference. She has all the things you really need to have a happy life. Gloria then concedes that she knows Sophia doesn't want to live with her and that she was only taking her to feel a slice of the warmth Dorothy has in her life. Dorothy and Sophia hug it out and boop it out, with Dorothy pointing out that Gloria got their dad's nose. But so did Dorothy. But that's for a later episode. Dorothy then leaves to go stop Sophia from packing up. Sophia is in an adorable polka-dotted pink nightgown as she's folding her clothes into a suitcase. She refuses Dorothy's, you ain't going nowhere, by saying she's a free single adult. And that's about as much of a fight as she puts up before both she and Dorothy open up about their honest feelings about Sophia being around. Sophia agrees to stay, but says there should be some rules, like that Sophia needs her own space, to which Dorothy agrees. In a very parental and elderly manner, Sophia breaks the news to Gloria that she isn't going to move in with her. It's a sweet moment because it feels like those times in your life where everyone knows the truth of a situation, but you maybe play along with the person making the decision, knowing it's what's best for everyone. Gloria and Sophia hug it out, and words of love are shared between the girls and their ma. Hi, it's me, your mom, Shelley Holland. Oh, hi, mom. So in this episode, Gloria and Dorothy are sisters, and they're getting some time together. And kind of a theme throughout the episode is all the girls talking about finding out or assuming they were favorites. You had four siblings. Mm-hmm. Huge age differences. Mm-hmm. And you were the baby. Mm-hmm. Surprise. I really was a favorite, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, what I'm talking about. There's no doubt in my mind or anyone else's. What was it that... It was like, duh, I'm the favorite. Besides you having the best personality of all of them. Oh, I thank you so much. <laughs> the dynamics were so different because of the age difference. So we were kind of in different households because financially, everything about it, age-wise for my parents, was a totally different household for my oldest sibling to what I lived. Because uh, how many years difference was that? 15. I had the closest one is six years older, and we were extremely close. Some of those things I've studied of, you know, sibling placement, that kind of thing, like the oh, middle right. child and the first child. And the, we all fit into that just perfectly textbook. And I did the, the other part of that is that 
not being invited to the picnic, but showing up Mm. is don't rock that boat because. Oh, right. So you have to play the perfect role. I'm not going to cause trouble. I'm not going to. I did not do anything to get in trouble. I would tell my mom if I was cut in school. So whereas my siblings, whereas my, (laughs) right. And whereas my other siblings, you might have had some pregnancies and you might have had some drug use and you might have had some typical things, whereas, oh, no. Because you were already feeling like, I'm not supposed to be here, so I'm certainly not going to make a ruckus. Which is a very typical placement of that for the birth order. Mm -hmm. I think I adopted some of that from you, where it's like, I don't want to be a burden, where like, my existence is a burden, just naturally. And I think a lot of people feel that. Well, and some of it's a respect level. Right. I respected my parents. They were good to me and took care of me. And I, I didn't have a need for any of that. I didn't right. need extra attention because I had a lot and I didn't need any of those things fulfilled. Let's not forget the animals. You had a monkey. Well, but they always said Ross had a pony. <laughs> oh, so this is a family thing. This isn't you oh, being spoiled is, thing. This is mine was the worst case. <laughs> I did have fun pets. <laughs> We did have this. I was spoiled. I was terribly spoiled. I still am. It's just people spoil me and I don't hate it. (laughs) Did you ever get a sense from your siblings that they were envious of either your relationship or that you were being treated so clearly as the favorite? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did they tell you straight to your face? You sound pretty sure Uh, about it. Yeah, probably. Thinking of one sibling in particular that. And what did you our, say? Thank you. I know. Uh, uh, all right. What? I have no control over any of the situation. I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to say to that right now. Right. Uh, that'd be like being jealous because I'm taller or. Right. You can't. I, help I have no control over any well, of and that. Well, I've referenced Grammy and Grampy several times in the show, kind of painting a picture of their Texasness mm-hmm. and bluntness, which mm-hmm. relates to Blanche often, where it's like mm-hmm. flat out, here's how I feel about you. And I'm right, because I'm Southern. Yeah. And yes. so mm-hmm. I can't imagine, yeah, the other kids, if they ever even approached Grammy and Crampy about it or anything, because she would just say flat out, like, well, yeah, I like, well, yeah, I like Shelly the best. <laughs> <laughs> she probably would have. Randy, she took Randy as a favorite in some ways. Because he was so far out there. Oh, right. And so I don't know if she felt responsible for his personality issues or right. if she, what that was, or because she couldn't fix or change. It's or like if, the, if one leaves the family, that's the one you care about and think right. of and dwell on and obsess over instead of loving the others that are there. You know, you see that time and time again. It's mm-hmm. like all they worry about is the one that left. So there's some connection there. So there was something with him, just some mental connection that she had towards him that was obvious. And I don't, other, I didn't ever talk to anybody I wonder else, if it was like mental health stuff, you know, because oh, she I would say so. She struggled. Struggled and mm-hmm. like silently for the most part, due to time, like the mm-hmm. era, you didn't really talk about that mm-hmm. stuff. And the whole long line of her whole family. Like, right. Maybe seeing that in Randy, one, like you said, the responsibility mm-hmm. thing. And two, maybe kind of relating on a level maybe. that she didn't have with anybody else. Maybe. Like the only other person that she could really like And his thing, understand which stuff. I didn't even catch until after he passed away, was definitely on the spectrum. Because oh, yeah. his IQ was 
often fifth highest in the state of California when he got tested in right. the 60s in the second grade. But he wasn't functioning right. because of that. So I don't think she knew exactly what mm-hmm. to do with that other than living and breathing music and then always somehow out there. Right. And struggling with reality. Like he, the drugs were such an issue because reality was very hard for him. Right. It just wasn't there. So the two of them being extreme opposites, but have different relationships with my mom, but they both struggle to have a relationship with her. Who's your favorite? Who do you want to live with when you're old? My kids? Mm-hmm. I don't have a favorite mm. because I have such a different relationship with both I of know, you. I know, I'm kidding. I know you are. That's how I've always felt. But I think I'll probably, you'll probably get stuck with me. Oh, yeah. I've been destined to become Dorothy my whole life. I think so. Substitute teacher, terrible relationships, screaming, ma. Four, four foot ma coming in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can kind of see it. I, I'm A severe height it. difference. <laughs> uh, there might be that. Mm, I can see that. I've never been jealous of any of my siblings because I have no reason to. Right. I don't care if they had money. I don't, I, I have my own everything I need my family and my securities and my stability. I don't like jealousy at all. And I, I wouldn't be happy that they'd be because jealous. Because jealousy and narcissism go hand in hand. And I don't like it. I don't want anybody to be jealous of me for anything that I have. Right. So I, I wouldn't I you wouldn't know, that... I wouldn't want them to have it. I don't like it. I, I used to be jealous when I can remember a time, one incident in particular, when I was struggling to have Mac mm-hmm. and you were little and I was cleaning and for some reason through how things worked out, because I normally would not ever do anybody's house, but because like almost a favor to somebody that knows somebody mm-hmm. that I'm doing, I ended up doing this woman's house. Well, she wasn't much older than me at all. And she had this unbelievable house because her husband built houses. Uh. And so he had built this house and she had a little girl and she had just given birth to her baby boy. Mm. And she had a Volvo in the garage that was my dream car that I wanted so bad she basically just had the life that I really I didn't care about a big house but new was nice (laughs) and I it was everything that I knew I was working towards and wanted Mm. not that it was like I wish that would fall in my lap and I wish I could but everything that I knew was like a goal it's like someday I'm gonna have a Volvo and Mm -hmm. boy I sure hope I'm gonna have a another baby and have that and that with your hormones and everything going through all that anyway is crazy because um, I even then I just wasn't normally a jealous person but I was so envious of her situation it just I just almost cried I just couldn't hardly stand to be there and I'm like I'm here cleaning your house which I I didn't mean I never felt well you didn't you didn't feel less than but no it's not like oh you're sitting there with all this and everything and I'm cleaning your toilet and I'm not a worthy person nothing like that right. at all but it's like I'm but I don't love that I'm in this situation and you're sitting there doing that I ho- not that I wished her to not have it right. but I hope I have it too mhm which I did right. I ended up with everything and more they're divorced <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any final words of wisdom for someone that's going to be having a family member live with them? I think as a human, it is the right thing to take care of your parents because it's a natural cycle of life that they took care of you and they can't do that anymore. So to some degree, whether that means you help them get an assisted living, that doesn't mean you have to have them under your roof or that you have to change their laundry. It means that you care 
and take care to whatever degree you can to make sure that they're okay. You don't abandon that situation. I do think that the parents should have some say because they kind of earn that when you live that long and what's healthy and safe and best for everyone. And uh, I think it's an okay thing to do. It is an inconvenience, but you know what? When you were running around and two years old, you might have kind of put a damper in your mom's day too when she was running (laughs) ragged and crying and pulling her hair out. Just a trait of inconveniences. When you're at that place, would you rather be, do you guys want to be in a home or do you want to be in a family home? You want to be in like a cool, uh, what is it, partial assistance or whatever? I don't have an answer because I never know what tomorrow brings. And if I plan something, guarantee it doesn't go that way. Yeah, forget it. Is it me or Joe? What's our health? What's the situation? What's your situation? Don't want to be a burden, but close to family. I don't, I don't have a clue because until I was there and knew, is it me alone? How capable? What? It's just so many things that I don't want to put that on anybody. If we decided at the time it was good and it was okay and I was alone and we were here or we don't and I'm in a home with other people, I, I think I'd be fine doing that. I could see you thriving in a place like that when you're like 80. Yeah. You're like leading. If something happened, (laughs) I pictured going that and being with other people around, and then having independence, and you guys having that, but knowing you're around and being okay. Right. Mm -hmm. I prefer that. Oh, interesting. Well, I prefer to be independent every day of my life, and I struggle with that one, as we all know. (laughs) I mentally try to go there that I'd be okay. Tell them. More friends. I know I got some (laughs) more friends. Girlfriends. Uh, who knows? Whatever. Second life. You thank you. You can't replace Joe. I might as well. Yeah, exactly. Let's try something new. Huh? <laughs> it's the next night and the Patrillo women have returned from a big expensive dinner of which Gloria paid for. Rose and Blanche are sitting at the table in the kitchen looking so cute. Rose in a bright yellow sweater with white pants. Blanche in a super cute sweater dress thing, maybe. She's pulling a Jane Polly, and I don't know what she looks like standing up. But the top being gray and blue with white dots and swirls is envious. I think there's a secret rule that every scene has to have someone in purple, as Dorothy is in a floral purple sweater over a white button-up, of course, and a pleated gray mid-calf length skirt. The girls are so happy to have everything right again, knowing that Sophia is not leaving. The ladies are enjoying a cup of tea at the table when Sophia comes in with the gifts she was going to give them if she had moved out. The ladies are all taken with the presents, but they quickly realize the gifts she was giving them were their own items that she had stolen. They start to take a mental inventory of all the things that they're each missing, and they realize they should probably go check Sophia's room. The ladies get up to do just that, and we see not only is Blanche wearing cute gray slacks to match her sweater, but that Rose has learned her lesson from the last time she followed Blanche out of the kitchen and apprehensively approaches the door. Something else I really liked in this episode after watching it a couple times and then watching it with you, we can't hear their thoughts. It appears they're being totally open and honest, and some of it isn't so much hurtful, but could maybe be hurtful or be taken the wrong way or uh, anything And there's no apologies, which is great because they're not needed. And it's something I'm working on personally is not constantly apologizing for my existence 
because that's something I've trained myself to do is I'm in the way, I'm loud, I'm annoying, I bothered you, I breathed, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So it's like the constant, which I hate doing, but it's hard not to. And watching that, and it's like they're saying, she's like yelling at her mom. No, I don't want that number. Give me some space. Fine, I'm leaving. They don't need to apologize. I mean, they can have a conversation where it's, I'm sorry I crossed the boundary of getting that phone number. And I'm sorry that I got really upset about it. Maybe disrespectful. Those apologies can happen. But even with her sister, there's no, and there's no like um, fake modesty. You know, she, her sister is saying, you have everything. You have a job that fulfills you and helps others. You have these women in your life that are your best friends. You have this dream life coming from someone that on paper you think has the dream life. And she's saying this really intense stuff. And Dorothy isn't like, oh, stop. No, I don't. She's not refusing it. And she's also not going, I know. Thank you. Oh, she's just like letting it exist. She doesn't do anything with it. She just absorbs it. And it's very aspirational, I think, especially for women, because we're constantly apologizing and constant. And I, I feel like how people react to compliments, which, you know, I'm a huge fan of compliments. Just kidding. Unless you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> but I I don't take them well. And so my response to compliments is almost an apology. Like, oh, stop. Oh, OK, thank you. But or let me say something to you. And it's really aspirational to see them interact with these heavy things. And there's no, oh, sorry. Or, oh, thanks. There's nothing awkward. Everyone just lets it happen. And I really like that. Sibling rivalries are nothing new. They can come from jealousy, misconceptions, parental treatment, or just the animalistic nature of coexisting. While Gloria and Dorothy had their own reasons for not getting along, they did the most important thing you can do in a situation like that. They talked it out. They were vulnerable and open about their lives, allowing for real conversation with a real outcome. Imagine if they hadn't talked. Sophia would have lived somewhere with someone she didn't want to. The girls would have been sad and Dorothy would have been lost without her. But because they braved the scary conversation, they didn't have to fake being happy when they weren't. An even bigger lesson Gloria provides us is that money doesn't make you happy. Sure, as a rich person, she wants for nothing and is happy in her own way. But you can hear her envy when discussing all the things Dorothy has that her money just can't buy. It's the important things that make life worth living. Friends, family, a purpose. Those are life's real treasures. Until next time, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we get to one of my very favorite episodes with my very favorite scene of the whole series, A Little Romance. Do you want a brightly colored Golden Girls shirt? How about a mask or a mug? Maybe a holiday card? Ooh, magnets? How about more? Well, you can find all of that and much, much more by visiting Greg Celeb Art on Redbubble. In addition to golden goodies, Greg also has items featuring drag queens, mommy dearest herself, Joan Crawford, and so much more fun stuff. Simply go to redbubble.com and type in Greg-Celeb-Art and start buying. While the dress is working, her jewelry isn't, so she asks Dorothy to borrow some of whores. 
While the dress is working, her jewelry isn't, so she asks Dorothy to borrow some of her. Oh my god, I can't say hers! One minute she'll make a joke that... <sighs> is that locker room talk for you, Coco? Not for me. I, I'm i trying to think of... The Guys talking where it's like, oh yeah, I've got this date, she's blonde. I mean, I'm honestly trying to think of the last time I talked to a, like a guy that wasn't my dad. <laughs> I don't talk to, well, I talked to one friend and that didn't go well. <laughs> he had some different ideas about the way things are. During a pandemic. During a pandemic, <laughs> you know. We've all had those friends Ooh. in the last year. <laughs> <laughs> are we right, people? Email us. Your golden baddies. And number two... I uh, hate doing laundry. I'm going to say number two. Number two. Number two. What are you? What kind of game are you playing with your <laughs> pants? With your pants lives? Mmm. Just a naked beaver on a dirty movie theater seat? Yuck. <laughs> Ew. No, thank you. I didn't just go to an all-boys high school. I also was an introvert and very shy, and I didn't participate in anything, and I was afraid <laughs> of girls. Yada, yada, yada. And by doing one, you mean you had a child. <laughs> and that child was a marriage. A marriage. <laughs> and that child has died. <laughs> Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.